This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 103 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss the 1812 Brothers Grimm fairy tale, Little Snow White, and Walt Disney's 1937 animated adaptation, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. So James, I think this might be the oldest story we've ever covered. But then I realized the scary stories a few weeks ago uh, might have something to say about that. Yeah, I think they're both, uh, you know, I think Brothers Grimm collected short, like, folklore stories as well in this kind of the same way. Yes. Uh, so, they're, they're, who knows really how old these stories are. Well, that's the thing. I was doing some research into it, and this, this fairy tale is definitely older. You know what I mean? It was, it was collected by the Brothers Grimm. They didn't create it. Now, I'm still going to give the nod to this as our oldest publication, because this, the, the book that we're, we're talking about came out in 1812, um, however, it was later revised several times, and then the edition I think that you can buy nowadays was was the 1854 edition, um, but still quite old. Whereas, you know, obviously, wow. the scary stories to tell in the dark came out in the 80s, and it's German as well, right? Yeah, German, which was later translated to English. I'm actually not sure about the English translation when that came to be, um, but yeah, this is this is old stuff. Um, and and uh, I'd always heard that the old versions of the Grimm uh, fairy tales were, were a lot darker. And uh, that held true for this one. It did. And you know, what's funny is I was like nearing the end. I was like, this really didn't get dark. It kind of is the same <laughs> story. And then it got dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was I, I would argue there was a pretty dark thing right in the middle there, too, um, which we, we, which we should definitely talk about. But before before we actually get into the specifics, um, I think I think we're going to talk about a lot of history in this episode. This is going to be kind of an unusual episode, which we should maybe talk about a little bit first. Yeah, well, I just wanted to, t- to address the fact that these are like folklore stories. And and this in general, this story, uh, something that came to me was just that like this this movie specifically, it feels like I came out of the womb having already seen this movie. Like it's so th- it's that ingrained in Probably society. Probably because your mom watched it when you were. Uh... Probably, yeah. <laughs> when I was just a twinkle in my mother's eye. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> callbacks <laughs> it, it's so ingrained right like it just feels like the fairy tale fairy tale yeah and i remember having that like classic white um vhs holder for the vhs copy of this which i think those are actually worth a lot of money now i was seeing someone posted online i don't know how much but if, if anybody still <laughs> has them i think they're actually worth quite a bit if they're still in good condition i suspect um i yeah. mine are long gone i assume um but yeah, I remember having those exact copies of a bunch of uh, animated Disney classics. And that's my preferred way of watching film, I think. If I can if I can get like the newest release on VHS, I'm just like, mm, <laughs> great great visuals, great sound, we're in. Yeah. Watch it enough times and it it wears out and starts <laughs> having lines and stuff. Those are the good yeah. old days. Oh, VHS. <laughs> Our younger audience might not even know what that is. Uh, before the DVD, way back in the early years. <laughs> back in my day, we had to rewind the movie. Yeah. Uh, 
Man, that's funny, too, because like in the, the history of these stories, like that's all very new, though, because think about it. I mean, yeah. 1812, like that's it's hard for me to even comprehend over 200 years ago. Um, these guys, these brothers were collecting these these old fairy stories and, and going like, oh, these are these old oral history stories. I want to collect them and put them in a book that I've been hearing. Similar things that Alvin Schwartz did with the scary stories. Right. Um, Brothers Grimm did it way back then. And the, the stories were old, old in 1812. It's wild. And they feel that way. Like I like I kind of said, they, it just does feel like I'm sure we'll get into it. But like some of the characters and some of the the things that happened are, are so cliche at this point. Um, but, you you know, this is this is potentially the source. So, yeah, it's hard. You can't even really call it a cliche when it's when it's like that. Right. It's uh, everything springs from this. And speaking of springs from it, uh, Disney as a corporation and as a as a major figure in, in mo- the modern entertainment landscape, uh, a lot of the success of that probably comes back to this film, right? Oh, it definitely does. This is yeah, this this formed the empire. This was it. This uh, this was such a huge deal for Disney. They bet everything, everything they had, they put into this movie and, and you know, Featured animated films weren't a thing. He he was creating a feature animated film. People people saw animation as cartoons and and short form, and he took that to the next level and and had it in color and and had it you know with with amazing scores and and it just took it took animated. I mean, every animated film that we see nowadays is completely one hundred percent owing something to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Wow. Yeah, and and that just also makes me think about when I was reading. And I'm curious to know if this happened to you too. Uh, when I was reading the story, I found several parts in there that were really reminiscent of other fairy tales. There was, I mean, obviously Sleeping Beauty is one that I always get confused with Snow White because you want you also have a figure who is kind of a sleeping dead and then gets woken by a kiss, um, and I think is also in a glass coffin. There's like there's there's a lot of these kind of carryovers. I think Sleeping Beauty was in a bed when she was sleeping, but I get I get your meaning. The other one is Goldilocks. Um, when Snow White finds the cottage, the dwarves' cottage in the in the in the story in the the Brothers Grimm, she right. comes in and she's like testing everything out, and she comes and she tests the bed, and she finds one that's that's not quite right, and then she finds another one not quite right, but then she finds one that je- it fits her just right, and then she sleeps in that one. Yep. And it was very reminiscent, and, and especially the just right comment was very Goldilocks. Um, I, yeah, I, I definitely picked up on that. So it's just, it, I'm wondering if they all owe DNA to the same story, or if it's like overlap, like there's a lot of these oral stories, and there was like mix and match stuff going on. Yeah, I'm not sure. It, it would take some insane research to figure out like which actually came first, and because well, like Goldilocks seems like an old story as well. You oh, know? absolutely. Like, who knows how old that is? Yeah, and and I should say that's that's a a great uh, segue to the caveat of we did not do as much research as could be done on this. Uh, this was a one week project for us, and we kind of got into it, maybe thinking, oh, we can just tackle this; it won't be that big, and then. Tip of the iceberg was really all we were able to do. There, there are people who have devoted their careers to the Brothers Grimm fairy tales, to analyzing uh, the way fairy tales and myths and legends throughout history change and morph and affect our culture. And uh, yeah, there's just so much out there. When I was really starting to get into it, I was like, oh man, there's no way. We, we could do an entire series of episodes about this stuff and still only be scratching the surface. So... Full caveats of uh, this is not going to be 
a comprehensive look at everything out there. If you want to do more research, absolutely, there is a ton of stuff out there. Yeah, and that's not even to to dig into all the stuff that we're, we're going to touch on some of it, but like the myth of Walt Disney and the way that the, the studio was formed after this. And this, I mean, this movie was the absolute monster hit of of this generation like this was like the star wars of this generation it made it's still like as i think with inflation it's still like in the top 10 yeah. highest grossing films of all time it's on like every list I, I hold on i have a thing here in 1989 the united states library of congress deemed the film culturally historically and aesthetically significant and selected it for preservation in the national film registry the AFI ranked it among the the great 100 greatest American films and the greatest American animated film of all time in 2008. So it's like the amount of, the amount of research that just the Brothers Grimm would require could be a podcast to its own. Not to mention an entirely different Disney podcast. So yeah. we're definitely going to touch on what we can, and uh, I'm excited to get into this. Yeah, I think there are podcasts devoted to this. By the way, I mean I I have like vague memories of seeing them out there. I'm sorry, I don't know the actual names of them. Um, I'm sure if you just search Brothers Grimm, you'll be able to find. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the Brothers Grimm first, who they were, and then we can kind of move chronologically with the story, and, and then eventually we'll, we'll get to the Disney stuff. The Brothers Grimm are Jacob Ludwig Carl and Wilhelm Carl. They are German academics, philologists, cultural researchers, and lexographers, and the authors who collected and published folklore during the 19th century. Um, included in their popularized uh, tale of, of these, these old stories are Cinderella, the Frog Prince, the Goose Girl, Hansel and Gretel, Rapunzel, Rumpelstiltskin, Sleeping Beauty, and Snow White. So just think about all those, right? Like that's, it's a lot of the classic tales that just every child in America is familiar with, I would think. Yeah, it's it's that's so mind blowing. And they I thought for some reason that, that Beauty and the Beast was a Brothers Grimm story, but I'm realizing that it was a French story. Right. But also, you know, you can so you can kind of see that Disney was Disney, Walt Disney and Disney as a company realized that these are great and prime for adaptations. Absolutely. And uh, I could go into their lives. Um, there's, there is some stuff known about them where they grew up in, in Germany. Uh, they were in a large family of nine children where, where a lot of these children died. Uh, three of them died in infancy, I'm seeing here. Um, but I, I don't want to spend too much time just because it'll take up the time we can talk about other things. Um, eventually, they, be they became librarians, they became authors, and they got interested in this stuff and started collecting it, um, which, is, which is how it was able to be remembered today. So, you know, I think that's I think that's awesome. It's interesting. One of the things I want to go ahead and note is, oh, actually, I'm seeing here uh, Little Red Riding Hood is another Brothers Grimm. Well, yeah. So anyway, um, <laughs> something I think is interesting is that in the original 1812 version of this story, uh, the, the, the stepmother queen who orders Snow White to be killed by the huntsman was actually her biological mother. And they changed that in a later edition to make it more palatable for children of the day. Interesting. It's interesting, right? And I think that's that's an important thing to note with this story, is that, because it's been adapted. I mean, how many times has this thing been adapted? I mean, 50 I mean, times I, more? I can think like, of like, yeah, knows? I can think of like f four or five right now, yeah. Oh, no, it's it's way more than that. I was looking at the list. There's, there's tons. <laughs> Just yeah, recently, yeah. I mean, like four or five, yeah. 
Yeah, there's so many. And and I think it's important to remember that uh, with each iteration of this story, it's going to reflect the times in which it's being told often, right? You're going to see new perspectives put onto it to reflect culture at the time. And uh, it's it, even in the collecting of these tales back then, they were already doing that, right? It was already considered a, a malleable story that can be changed and molded to fit what they needed to. Um, so I think that's interesting to know. Um, so yeah, originally biological mother, jealous of her own daughter's beauty and trying to kill her. So <laughs> that's pretty dark on, on just on the surface, right? These older stories are also bringing to mind like when they're when there are tragedies or when they're like f something f familial, something in the family. Uh, it reminds me of like Greek, Greek mythology, the I'm way that like a mother is is jealous of her daughter. It's it just sounds like something that would have been uh, Greek mythology. It's funny you way. bring that up. <laughs> um, there has been some research into the scholars have often theorized about what the inspiration for this story was. Um, there's, from what I'm seeing, there's three main contenders. Um, one of which I think is, is considered the most likely, but you did touch on another one. And that is the idea of, so scholar Graham Anderson compares the story of Snow White to the Roman legend of Yon. I'm not, I am far from hundred percent on the pronunciation. We looked it up. That's the best we could do. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, recorded in Ovid's Metamorphosis. The name Hyun means snow in Greek, and in the story she is described as the most beautiful woman in the land, so beautiful that the gods Apollo and Mercury both fell in love with her. Mercury put put her to sleep with the touch of his catechus. That's the um the 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 staff with the two entwined snakes. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like it's it's a modern symbol used today. Yeah, the medical thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, he raped her in, his, in her sleep. Uh, Jesus this Christ. was, uh, Mercury. Then Apollo, disguised as an old crone, approached her and raped her again. And here you go. This is, a, <laughs> and this, this is it's what I mean yet. about being dark. <laughs> These uh, affections led Hyun to openly boast that she was more beautiful than the goddess Diana herself, resulting in Diana shooting her through the tongue with an arrow. So there you go. There's the old, the the really old version of the story is uh, she gets raped twice in her sleep and then wakes up and thinks that that means she's more beautiful than a goddess. <sighs> so that makes Jesus. sense, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, sounds uh, sounds like it wouldn't hold up in a modern sense. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. It, I mean, like I said, like th this is a reflection of of society, and um, I I if that's true then some of these stories are showing a society that uh, not too pleasant to, to be reflected there. If you look at what the way women were treated, the the values in society. And, and that's something that carries through to this story in these iterations we're covering because beauty seems to be absolutely paramount. And not only that, it has to be like natural, like effortless beauty. And because... The stepmother's described as beautiful as well, but she's not the most beautiful and she's jealous. And that is that is not good. You have to just be naturally the most beautiful and innocent and pure and not cunning and, and conniving. And um, so if you start thinking about what are the what's the message here that we're conveying, right. it's yeah. not not a particularly good one. Yeah, I think that carries forward into the film adaptation as well. It's Absolutely. Like what, you know, what are little girls being taught by seeing this princess that they want to be and and that being their role model? Um, you know, and I think that 
Disney films and sub- have subsequently been addressing that in in certain ways and and trying to make their princesses more have more agency. But but yeah, this one is definitely one where you're kind of just like uh, Snow White as a character. What would you say, what would you say to describe her? Beautiful, and then and then <laughs> uh, like I would say powerful woods witch who uh, enthralls many woodland creatures and and uses seven dwarves to do her bidding. But we can get to that when we get to the <laughs> animated film. <laughs> I'm excited to hear this take on it. Yeah, <laughs> um, but but I so I, I wanted to back up. Um, the other main inspiration of this I think is interesting. And if you like hearing me mispronounce words, then get ready because I got some more for Woo-hoo. you. Um, Karl Heinz Bint Bartels, a pharmacist and scholar from Loramain, a town in northwestern Bavaria, found evidence that Snow White was Maria Sophia Margaret Katarina, Baroness von und zu Urthal, <laughs> who was born in Lohr, Lohr in June 25th of 1725. I'm not going to pronounce it. I'm going to try and keep the names to a minimum after that because that was brutal. Um, her father was a local representative of the prince. After the death of Maria Sophia's mother in 1738, her father remarried. The stepmother was domineering and employed her new position to the advantage of her children from, from her first marriage. A magic mirror referred to as, quote, the talking near- mirror, known as always telling the truth, can still be viewed today in the Spessart Museum in Lore Castle, where Maria Sophia's stepmother lived. The mirror was presumably a present from Maria Sophia's father to his second wife. So, yeah, that people think that that is maybe the story. Um, she was supposedly poisoned by the stepmother. And there, the, the fact that there was this uh, mirror, this magic mirror and this person, this guy who produced mirrors and the manufacturer, people think that maybe that led to the Snow White story. Wow. Uh, speaking of which, the gravestone, her gravestone was reportedly found in 2019. Really? Yes. The the original, this Baron, this uh, Maria Sophia, her original gravestone. So there's a lot more to that that I'm just scratching the surface there. But once again, that's just a, a taste. So you were saying one of them seemed to to, to you to be potentially the most correct or, or one that seems the, the most real? It's that one because okay. because that because of the mirror, the, the, specifically the mirror. So the other version was about a German... Uh, a German st- a story about another princess who got murdered by her um, stepmother uh, being poisoned. And and that seems to be kind of like a woman getting poisoned by her stepmother c- appears in a lot of different tales. But the mirror mm-hmm. specific thing here makes it most to me like the most likely direct descendant of this story, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Or antecedent, I should say. So that's the history behind it or as much as I think we should try and get into here. Let's talk about the story itself, because um, for, let's just maybe give a rough outline of what happens in it, because it's mostly the same with some with some differences for sure. Um, Snow White has a stepmother who's a queen who's jealous of her beauty. She's described as being the fairest in all the land. Um, I think it's interesting that the actual and this is this is funny because I, I saw videos about the Mandela effect and how everybody says that they remember it being mirror mirror on the wall but the, the saying is actually magic mirror on the wall in the film. Mm-hmm. In the right. story, it's mirror, mirror on the wall. So that kind of solves the mystery to me. In the Brothers Grimm story that I read, it it was looking glass, looking glass on the wall. Oh, interesting. Well, okay, I'm not sure which one you read then. Like you said, multiple interpretations, translations and everything. Yeah. 
at least one that I read was Mirror Mirror. So, but one interesting thing about Looking Glass, Looking Glass, is that is just a translation thing, right? Like some word that means mirror was translated to Looking Glass rather than mirror, and then repeated right. twice. So essentially, that yeah. is still Mirror Mirror confirmed. Yeah. Um. So it just depends on how it's translated, but. I th- you know that's an interesting if you want to go down a rabbit hole look up the Mandela effect and the Berenstein Bears and all that and like how it's spelled yeah. and all this stuff like there's a lot of this oh and like the movie Shaz- was it Shazam starring Shaquille O'Neal or uh, so I think it was Kazam and everybody says it's Shazam and it goes yeah back and, and, forth. and it was Sinbad there was just be like a Sinbad movie with the, yeah anyway look it right. up interesting stuff but anyway that is that is an aside um so. She knows that Snow White is going to be more beautiful than her, and she can't stand it. And so she orders the she orders her death by the huntsman, who she sends out to kill her, kill her in the woods. He takes pity on her because she's so beautiful that he decides to let her go. Um, and she wants him to bring back the lungs and liver of her to prove to, to prove that Snow White's dead. He decides instead to butcher a boar. And brings back the lungs and liver of a boar instead to, um, to the queen, and she eats them uh, <laughs> to celebrate, I guess, the death, the murder of Snow White. So that was my like early dark moment there. We got some cannibalism here, or she thinks it's cannibalism. Yeah, which is very like fairy tale. It's like something it's you very... would hear in a fairy tale. So yeah, it fits it. But I understand, you know, Disney taking something like that out. And there's a couple of those those moments where he where he takes things out or changes them in ways. Yeah. And and I, I think it's also like, it's interesting that she's not really described necessarily as a witch, but she does appear to have a magic mirror. Um, but she's not like casting spells and stuff in the original story. But she does. She does use witchcraft. She uses poison. Yeah. She, it says it said well at least in my translation maybe it was different but it said something about the reason that she was able to use that poison or whatever was because she was familiar with witchcraft or something like that oh I don't remember that part Which, it may, it may be a difference in translations it seems like maybe we read different ones um but maybe I, I just might misremember that but regardless there's not a lot of witchcraft going on but I was thinking that she is very witchy and um mm-hmm. witches were very or a huge worry around this time. And mm-hmm. they were considered one of the most terrifying forces out there. And so when you have a witch character in a fairy story, she's not just kind of like a ha-ha witch. She's a dark, cannibal, black magic, truly terrifying presence, right? And that's what the stepmother is in Snow White. So you want to you continue the story here? What happens next? Do you remember? <laughs> After she's left in the woods by the huntsman, yeah, um, she stumbles upon a, a small cottage and goes in. And we have our we have our um, Goldilocks scenario yeah. where she walks in and she tries the she tries food as well, right? Food yes. and then and then beds, yeah. And then uh, the dwarves return and find her in one of the beds, and they are shocked that it's that it's a woman right yeah and then she offers to keep house for them in exchange for being allowed to stay and they agree to that and then uh then a series of attempts on her life are made by the queen who finds out that she's still alive through the mirror and uh the first time she she, no the first time she sells her like a bodice that she puts on it's like extremely tight makes it hard to breathe lace yeah she laces it up or something and then like she almost suffocates to death but then the dwarves find her and and rescue her and then she comes again later as like a different version of the old crone uh with a poisonous comb 
right. which has uh, just does has a terrible like barely works. So ditch yeah. that idea. <laughs> she, <laughs> I think they like the dwarves find her and like wash her hair or something, and she's fine. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, and then yeah, then the apple. Um, she 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 finally comes with the poison apple, which is going to really do the trick, and dumb Snow White who can't tell that this is this is a bad decision uh, on the like third freaking time still right. takes the apple and eats it and uh quote unquote dies um but isn't really dead i guess or maybe she is i don't know and the dwarves come and uh they decide she's so beautiful even in death they can't bury her so they decide to put her in a glass coffin so that they can like watch her forever um yeah that's not creepy um and <laughs> uh she doesn't she's not de- she doesn't decay which is important to know um, they have one of the dwarves like keep watch over her as the other ones go to work. Yeah. And it's like they're like kind of worship not worshiping her but they're kind of like just I don't know, they feel they feel like indebted to her or they just love her so much because of they her. They just be- love her because of her beauty. Everybody does who meets yeah. her. Like that's why the huntsman spell spares her. That's why they allow her to stay. It's because she's yeah. beautiful. So just be beautiful is the moral of the story. Um and life will go your way. And speaking of that, the prince uh, is the ultimate culmination of that. The man who shows up, he's a prince. He sees this dead woman in a coffin who is very beautiful and decides, I'm going to take her with me. Now, I will say that at least in this version, he doesn't kiss her. Um, In the version I read, he instead has his servants pick her up and carry her with him. He's going to take her with him as a possession, which seems weird in a different way. Um, really weird yeah yeah and then one of his servants trips on a stone i think drops the coffin and the fall dislodges the bit of apple that was in snow white's throat she i guess coughs it up wakes up from her slumber then the prince declares his love for her because she's so beautiful and she loves him back of course why not and then they go live in his castle and then that's when the story actually gets dark (laughs) um (laughs) So in the castle, they decide they're going to have the wedding. They uh, they send out invitations all over the land, including inviting the evil stepmother, which, by the way, heavy Cinderella vibes with the stepmother thing, right? Um, there's just a lot of, a lot of that. Um, the stepmother comes and is forced to wear iron shoes that have been heated up to red hot temperature in the fire, and she has to dance herself to death wearing these iron red hot shoes. I was also noticing that the stepmother at first didn't want to go to the wedding. Like yeah. She was like, I'm not going to that. She, she was so enraged and upset that first, no way to still alive. And second, she is getting married. Uh, and then she goes and it's, I, I think her, her whole ultimate goal is just to go and like make a fuss and like ruin the wedding. And when she gets there, they're waiting for her. And they're like, here, we have these steel <laughs> shoes that are like heated up. And now you have to step in them and yeah. dance around. Brutal. Until you Absolutely fall down brutal. dead. Which, how how does, I mean, foot burns that lead to death? That's some severe, I guess, just the shock of it. I, I don't know. Your feet know. melt off. Yeah. It's, Goes, it's not I guess good. you just slowly melt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that is the original Brothers Grimm version of Little Snow White. I, it's, it's just interesting to me to think back about, like, why they told this story to their children back then. And maybe it did have some real world uh, connections, but also it was just a fairy tale and fairy tales usually are imparting some sort of wisdom or some sort of moral. And the moral here seems to be, first off, be God fearing or or God loving, because 
uh, Snow White is said to to like thank God at one point or say her prayers. Pray, and yeah, then she's the, praying or something. Yeah, and then the godmother is described as godless, quote unquote. So I think there's a little bit of that going on. Um, doing your doing your chores, keeping house, being a, like a worth like a, if you keep house, then you're you get to stay in a, you get to stay with the men who do the work. Um, I think there's something being said there, and then yeah, the idea of like don't be smart, don't be cunning, be instead innocent and beautiful and dumb. And well, and- I, I would I would argue <laughs> that like the I think the major lesson here is just like the the being wary of strangers, being sure. being wary of taking things from people, being wary of of you know accepting gifts or something like that because there's always something attached to that. Well, um, and also don't would be like don't be jealous one. and don't let jealousy drive you to try and do something that's gonna like get you killed. I guess you know what I mean. Like yeah. from that point of yeah. view of like don't 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 worry about being the most beautiful person in the land. So if you look at it that way, that could be a good lesson of like. Right. I have to be honest. The the a clear narrative story here for me is and just in keeping with like the fairy tale idea and the classic nature of it is the stepmother who is beautiful but cares so much about her beauty that she wants to kill Snow White should have remained the crone, the hag forever, right? Like that just seems to me like another punishment. Like if she's stuck in that form. Yeah, you got she's gotta wear burning hot shoes and melt her feet off and die. Come on. Right, but both, this is eighteen twelve. Like, it's brutal. <laughs> Life is brutal back then. <laughs> she's there. a witch. A witch. Yeah. You, what do you do with a witch? You don't let her live, that's for sure. <laughs> um but you know, I I see what you're saying, man. But um I think I think we gotta get into this movie because I know there's a lot going on with that and we can continue to talk about how the story uh, evolved and changed over time. So uh, do you have anything else about the story specifically before we get to the movie? Yeah, one last thought that I wanted to say, just because it's the the fairy tale nature of this, and and something with like the older stories like this, or like the, the you know the the rhyming in them and the repetition is very apparent in the story, and and it l- lends itself to like the sing song sort of poem uh, epic tale that that's going on here. The the coming back three times thing is such a such yeah. a classic like fairy tale seeming thing yeah. and so and as we'll see in the adaptation unnecessary because it's the same thing three times but there's something about it the repetition that like makes it well and that's a classic like you're saying an oral story an easy way to remember it is yeah like she comes three times and attempts to kill her and the third time is the one that's the most successful and then yeah the mirror mirror on the wall that's like a touchstone for the audience like oh we're at this part again where she talks to the mirror right I, right. I think you're definitely onto it with like the way it's constructed to be something easy to remember for somebody who ha- doesn't have it written down. Exactly. So yeah, I, I just feel like that was something that Walt was thinking about going into the film as well. Well, and also these darker moments um, to sort of defend our 1812 uh, ancestors. I think some of that is like the shock and awe of telling a story to a group of people. Like you want to have everyone go, oh, that's so horrible. Like, you know what I mean? And and, and so, and that's what you They'll see. They'll remember that. that, yeah. Exactly. And you see that in scary stories to tell in the dark, like all of those old tales being so twisted and 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 there's cannibalism and horror. And and uh, maybe that's just because those stories were memorable. And so that if you put in those like uh, racy slash just brutal and, and dark details, it's like, oh, I can remember that. Right, and it'll stick with an audience member, but specifically, it's going to stick with kids, right? Yeah. Like, a child is going to remember that, the, the the witch who gets her feet burned for trying to kill Snow White. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so moving into this film, um, I feel like I've already talked about kind of this, the magnitude and, like, how important this f- film is, but just to talk about Walt Disney a little bit, Walt Disney was an animator um, from a young age. He was He really got into drawing. 
Um, eventually, he would he would go and serve in World War One, and then return and with his brother would try to create a an animation studio. And initially, they got their start with a lot of short form trailer type things that you would see in front of movies in, back in like the 20s and 30s. These short form cartoons were where, you know, Steamboat Willie was one of them. You would see the introduction of like Mickey Mouse and some of the other characters who who are so massive now and so important to the Disney brand. But eventually he realized that that there was so much more that he could do with animation than just having these short form 10 to 15 minute shorts uh, that were comedic and, and you know, they're always supposed to be very funny and, and you're not supposed to be connected to the characters anyway. And what he wanted to do with this, with Snow White and the Seven Dwarves was very specifically, he wanted it to take on a certain realism and a certain um, sympathy. He wanted the audience to take on a sympathy to the characters um, have it stick with them in an emotional way. And I think that that's something that like carrying forward with all of Disney's movies, it, he realizes maybe with this one that that it the things that stay with people are the things that pull on your heartstrings or terrify you and all of that. Um, so they used a, a couple of techniques to make this film, but the one that I want to talk about most before we jump into the actual movie. Mm. Um, so animated films are made at 12, for the most part, especially in this time period, 12 frames per second. So every drawing that's drawn has to be meticulously drawn by an animator and then traced onto a cell, which is like basically like a piece of glass or plastic, and then painted over. And then once it's painted, put in with backgrounds, put in with all this stuff, and it becomes a, a cell. And then you you film this, and that's one frame. So you do tw that 12 times, and you have one second of animation. So that's just like the the amount of work that goes into to, to these is just unbelievable. And the, the a feature film, animated film, hadn't been done like this before. So the amount of like manpower and time that was required, um, you know, famously, there's a lot of stories of like the overworking that ha had to be done by the animators and Walt was pushing everybody. I mean, it's stuff of legend at this point. Like it's, it's these people were like not sleeping, and at the same time they were he was he was doing um, he was having them take classes on on uh, photorealistic animation and ways that like uh, if you you know how your clothes move on your body while you're moving around so he's pushing his animators he's trying to he's trying to turn this into a new art form where to get to Snow White and the Seven Dwarves like Snow White for instance is a very um, you know realish character a lot of animation up to this point was what they call squish and and stretch so you'll have like the dwarves, for instance, are like a lot of squish and stretch. Their faces, the emotions that they make are really over the top. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they do things that are f like physically not possible in the real world. Sure. And then you have your characters that are that do abide by the by the laws of, of physics and nature and everything. So uh, he's trying to push this forward with this film to get back to the techniques that were used. They had something called multiplane camera that they were using. So basically they had sheets of glass that went up like six levels and they would place the camera over top shooting down into the glass and on each piece they'd be able to manipulate each layer in di at different speeds or in different directions and it would it would give it this depth so that's why how you're able to take this like flat 2d image and create depth a lot of the foreground and background has has maybe like you know there's this the really famous shot where snow white has gotten away from the forest that it's trying to pull her down She's crying in the in the and all the the animals come out. The foreground is is blocked by some some woods and the background is very clearly separate. So you get a lot of depth. And that was a huge new technique that I think added a lot to this film. Um, mm. Yeah. And 
just one of many technical things that were that was implemented to to make this movie uh you know something more than just a short 10 minute cartoon so as i said he was he was working on the sympathy he was trying to have audiences connect with the characters so he took the dwarves and he gave each of them their own identifiable characteristic which i think clearly to this day was a good decision because that's how people remember this movie is the seven dwarves and and um you know people each each audience member may relate to it to one separately and and they're funny and yeah. it's kind of like that vaudeville slapstick comedy of the, of that time uh how did you feel like that held up did you like what what were you into about this movie well first off i was going to ask you which of these dwarves you were but then when we were getting ready to record you did a big old sneeze right at the start of the recording so i think we we've established that you are sneezy the dwarf <laughs> <laughs> i think i have to be yeah at this point right <laughs> yeah and i i feel like i'm either sleepy or or maybe uh, maybe doc because just because he like uh he kind of fumbles his words a lot and i feel like i do that sometimes on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> that's um, funny but but i thought it actually was really funny grumpy I was I wrote down like I was like oh he's the internet <laughs> because he's like I like that I you know I don't like women with the the females with their their wiles and they're like what are what are what are female wiles I don't know but I'm again it and <laughs> he's just <laughs> the whole time just like huffing and puffing and oh you you're gonna be all mushy now and like making fun of the other dwarves for for you know giving in. And yet, when push came to shove, he was he was waiting for that. He wanted the kiss on the on the head as well. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And the the economy of the kiss is is something that is definitely weird. We talked about this way back with like Howl's Moving Castle. Remember? Because mm-hmm. that kind of how that that is at the end of that. Um, but this was definitely it was like uh, Snow White was just throwing out kisses, and that was how she would reward these dwarves. I'm telling you, yeah. man. Th- this. I kind of want to give my outline of this movie because uh, watching it as an adult, it's it's changed for me a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do think that there's something you were talking about the economy of the kids. I do think there's something to be said for quick displays of affection in a film like this, like moving things along. You can tell that Snow White cares about the dwarves, whether you're a kid or an adult, very quickly because she's kissing people on the forehead. Well, and you can also tell the dwarves are horny for Snow White. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong about that but you it's got also, dope, but you it's got like dopey uh, coming back again and again and again trying to get kiss on the lips and she keeps giving the forehead instead you yeah know? the way that walt was able to take this story and condense it down i think is a, a much more palatable story um while also kind of extending certain moments to be memorable um i think making it a musical was definitely something i mean that carries forward till today a lot almost every animated disney film is a, is a musical I think that sticks with people, the the idea of music, the way that music affects people. You know, you're using all your tools when you're using music and film at the same time. If you see just the image, it's one thing. If you hear the music, it's one thing. But when you put those two things together, it's like yeah. magic sometimes. It is the magic. Score, it's, it, that is her magic. And she uses it on us as an audience, just like she uses it on everyone else in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I got to hear your version of this. <laughs> okay. Man. All right. Let me tell you, let me tell you what happens in this movie. Just so you know. So we follow a young witch named snow white with a stepmother who is another witch who are going to come to battle each other she is we the first time we meet her she's singing to pigeons and getting them to join in with her and she's just kind of playing around with her magic she's singing into a well a man is walking by he overhears her song and is immediately enthralled by her magic has to come and profess his love to her and she runs away laughing the stepmother tries to get her killed 
she the the huntsman takes pity on her, casts her out into the woods where she's terrified of all these animals until she realizes that her magic will work on them. So she starts <laughs> singing at the animals, and and soon enough she has the entire woodlands in thrall. And these animals, she commands them to take her to somewhere where she can find rest because she can't sleep on the ground like an animal. So they do. They take her to this cottage they know of. They go inside. She looks around. She finds it not to her liking. It's too dirty. So she starts singing a song in which she forces all of these animals to start cleaning this house, you know, wiping their ass on things, licking plates. You know, if you call that cleaning, then sure, that's what they're doing. Um, So they they clean the dwarf's cottage up. And then she finally goes to sleep in the bed upstairs. Okay. Seven dwarfs come home. Their home has been ransacked. Someone has come in and touched all of their stuff. Animals have been just sleeping in their beds, you know, defiling all of their their cookware and plates and all that. Um, They're terrified. The animals actually start playing pranks on them and making them even more afraid. Finally, they, they come to see Snow White sleeping in the bed and they're just taken in by her astounding beauty. Um, still, they don't know if they want to let her stay. It's not until she starts singing at them that she really gets them under her thrall. And then all of a sudden, now they're there to just say, like, oh, yeah, you stay with us and keep house and then you can stay with us. But, like, keeping house for her, I mean, she has animals to do her bidding anyway. So she's not having to do any work. Um, so she's got she's got these dwarves who are just completely enthralled by her as well now. The witch comes to kill her with the poison apple, and the animals who she has come and chase the witch off after she takes the apple and drive the witch up a cliff where she ends up dying, falling to her death. Um, <laughs> the buzzards descend on her and eat her flesh, we assume. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, and then she, her only problem is that she's kind of dumb, so once again she eats the apple. And uh, she's woken up by this by this prince who she had previously enchanted with her magic and he kisses her wakes her back up and she's able to live happily ever after so there you go snow white the woods witch so i think you got something there i think you need to <laughs> and you think you need to make a make a little write-up screenplay maybe maybe send it in to disney see if they'll <laughs> see if they'll uh green light this man well it's funny in a meta way it works on us too because we're all taken in by this mad this magic song we just want to mm-hmm. we just want to like her i mean look with with like the with the films like uh, Frozen and and Tangled, Moana, mm-hmm. the, these princesses have powers now. They and do. I think you might be. They might be into this, man. I think they. <laughs> this kind of fits in line with some of the animated films they're making now. So, pitch the reboot. Do it. Yeah. Maybe uh, you might have to make it a little less dark. But uh, <laughs> I think well, they'd be into it, man. I mean, I don't know how else to explain what happens in this movie. So I, I think I think uh, it's I think it's the only way to read it at this point. First off, I love your I love your version of this, but I want to know just in terms of the like, did it work for you in in 2019? It's a 1937 yeah. animated film, first feature of its of its type. Uh, yeah. How does it how does it feel to a 2019 viewer? I think the 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 power of cute animals is something that Disney learned in this movie. I think you're going to see Bambi come later. Um, that feels like the same animals from this movie. <laughs> like everyone loves the animals who are helping her out, right? Yeah, and Dopey like flaps his ears around, kind of makes me think of Dumbo. Well, he looks like a baby too. He um, yeah. it's just, he's essentially a baby wearing like oversized clothes, and he doesn't mm-hmm. talk because he's an infant. Um, and yeah, I mean the dwarves are cute. They're over the top. There's um, there's a formula here that they established that they you definitely see repeated in other films that followed, um, because they learned that it worked here and that children liked it. 
So, uh, but like, so how about the in terms of like the score and like the hand drawn landscapes of like a, and I think it is supposed to be like German. It's supposed to be in keeping with sort of a German aesthetic as far sure. as Walt was concerned. Uh, he, the, I think he wanted it to be like that, the original story. So how, did, did those, because I, I can remember us talking about like Miyazaki and his landscapes yeah. and his animation. And I just want to know like what you think of the 1937. I think most of it, most of it held up as far as like the animation goes. Um, I think Snow White herself is my least favorite character design out of everybody in the film. I think the dwarves are more interesting. I think the, the, the stepmother even is more interesting. Yeah, Snow White herself, I don't know. It almost felt rotoscoped. Like like it was giving me like weird flashbacks to that uh bizarre Lord of the Rings film we watched for our Patreon bonus episode. Yeah. Well, um, well, like I said in that episode, this was this did use some rotoscoping. They okay. used references more than rotoscoping. Cuz it looked v- like her her proportions were very normal for a person. And right. when you're in a world where everybody else has these abnormal proportions, I don't know, it just felt weird at times. Um, so yeah, I guess that would be my one minor complaint. The music is great. The songs are so classic. The hi ho, hi ho, from work to home we go is how we first hear it. Which I, I completely forgot that there was like a whole version where it was from work to home we go. Um, mm-hmm. and then later they reverse it off to work we go, which is the more what everybody else remembers. I think. Um, that song's so classic and iconic, right? These dwarves. Um. I don't know. It's awesome. And when we first meet them in the mines, they have like a, a fun kind of interaction with all these little diamonds and stuff that they're they're collecting. And there's just a lot of great music and moments in this movie for sure. And that holds up. So I got to give least favorite character design to the prince because he just looks. I'm just oh, like so forgettable. Yeah. But you know, it's forgettable. So forgettable that I forgot to mention him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're totally um, right. I do completely like completely forgettable. I do like some stuff that they did with Snow White. Like I think the character design in general is cool. I think that. The, the and I was reading about this actually. They, the, you know, that like sort of like blushing. I don't, I don't know much about makeup, but it's like that reddish, uh, almost like skin tone, like makeup look on her face. Yeah, I think that that's a reference to the story. So when I was reading, I found out that the they did all of the paint mixing in house. Like it was all Disney chemists mixing their paints. And I guess um, someone along the way, one of the women realized he uh so walt wanted her to like look more realistic the flesh look more realistic and one of the women um who was uh, also a um painter realized that they could use they could use some techniques to make it look sort of like blushing like and and the legend goes that they use some of their own makeup um i couldn't find out if that was actually true or not but that's like the legend is like they use their own makeup I thought it was just a um, callback to the original story that had the there's like a, actually I'll just read the lines verbatim rather than butcher them. Um, this is like an important bit for for the name. I believe it's the original mother who dies before the stepmother comes in. She says she she pricks her finger with a needle when she's sewing and three drops of blood fall into the snow. And the red on the white looks so beautiful, she thought to herself, if only I had a child as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as the wood in this frame. Because she's looking at this thing, right? So so that is how you get Snow White the name, I think. And that's what that, that's supposed to mean. And so the red, black, and white uh, design of Snow White in the animation, I assumed, was a reference to that line from the story. And I think it very well might be. I think it was yeah. just a situation where Walt was like, I need this to be done. And somebody yeah. just figured it out. Problem solved it. That's cool. Um, I think, I think this, a couple, a couple things stand out to me in terms of like 
just like iconic moments and and like huge unbelievable shots in animation uh the transformation of the the witch yeah that mother where that she was like cool. takes the that was really crazy and the the moving panels that's a moment you can really see the different the different layers that they were dealing with there stuff's just so fascinating to me and i just the the idea of figuring all that out just seems like so overwhelming to me how cool was that potion spell like the spell she used to put that potion together when she was like using like the the lightning the scream to brew of it a... and the scream and the, and the yeah like all this different stuff and the whole time the raven is like watching her and is terrified of her which is like a great yeah. little animal companion which becomes like a big thing for disney having these little animals mm-hmm. and... definitely uh the other scene that i feel like you definitely appreciated was the when she's running through the woods and all the yeah, trees are coming to all life the alligator 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 logs what i like about that is it's it's such a subjective scene because what they're doing there is they're showing you how her perception of the woods is that it's this terrifying place and then after she falls over and wakes up she sees it it looks normal again and she sees it that all these eyes that she imagined as being so terrifying are actually these cute animals come out so right. it's like it's a it's a piece of subjective art being shown in this in this thing, which is I don't know, just it's cool to attempt something like that. Yeah, and I love that, like you're saying, the the trees, like when when you're seeing them initially, they don't have the eyes on them, and the eyes appear as she gets closer to them. Yeah, it looked so normal before. The tree looked very normal, and then as as she like gets closer to it, and the eyes appear, it morphs it into old to man willow like creatures. Yeah, yeah, old man willow, or yeah, like a tree, <laughs> like an ant. Yeah, uh, but yeah, exactly. So like the eyes just appear out of nowhere, and then it looks so like one of them looks like a crazy like mouth. Yeah, and I feel like that became like an iconic um, sort of Halloween tree that I've seen. I I wonder if that was something that existed long before that or something. But the Halloween tree with the mouth and the 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 eyes like that, just I've seen that so much afterward. After and it's this. like the the shadows, and it extends yeah. seemingly with the shadows and that kind of thing. Very Halloween, yeah. Uh, I want to point out another moment where the the uh, the queen who has transformed herself into the old crone is like laughing and going down the stairs, and she looks back over and she's like closing the like uh, trap door over her head. And I feel like I've mm-hmm. seen this on the internet as like gifts or something. But I think it's a meme. Yeah, I think it's a meme. Yeah, like a meme. But it also reminds me of um, I think it's Evil Dead Two. Do you ever see Evil Dead 2? Yeah, yeah. With they the, have this the like hatch. creature she... in the basement who is like kept under this hatch and she like pops her head up and like says shit. And I wasn't it thinking, one, it I, was I one of the of people scene. turned in one of the people that was there like turned into that, right? I From think you're right. It's been a while, but yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um anyway, th- that reminded me of that. But then she goes down and she sees this skeleton of the, of a prisoner apparently that she had in her basement who died of thirst while reaching for a pot of water that was just like inches away from his from his, their grasp and she taunts mm-hmm. him and like kicks the the bowl and I was like what are you thirsty you want a drink <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I thought that was pretty dark for for a Kinda Disney dark, movie yeah <laughs> like, definitely the guy died inches from from the water he needed to survive right, assuming he's a man but whoever it is uh died that way that's pretty that's pretty twisted and what about those vultures? I thought those vultures were going to help her out, but maybe they were under the thrall, too, of, of Snow White because they were actually just <laughs> waiting for her to die so that they could go to town on her corpse, I think. Right. They were just waiting for their opportunity. I want to talk about the success a little bit of this film because, as I said, um, Disney, he he bet everything he had on this movie. He put everything into it. I think at the time I heard that it's like oh, it was like a million dollar production, um, which is pretty sizable production, especially because it's like, sl- I think it's, you know, it's post um, 
depression, but still like close enough to the depression to where it's like scary times for money. So a million dollars and then 500,000, he had to he had to be loaned by a bank who after seeing a cut of the film, uh, one of the representatives of the bank said like this movie's going to make a ton of money. Yeah, you can have the extra 500,000 that you need. Um, got the film made. It went on to make an absolute absurd amount of money for the time. I think it said internationally made like 8 million or so upon its initial release not counting anything else any other releases um and then it went down to it went on to win the first ever animated oscar so literally an oscar for animated feature didn't exist before this and it was given to this as the first one wow uh and really really funny the oscar that they were given was one normal size oscar attached with like a base on it with attached to seven smaller oscars so it's like the most interesting Oscar ever given out. It's like large and then seven tiny That's ones cool. after it. How about that? Once again, I mean, this is a story that reflected its times. Um, this is not a very progressive time in, in America and around the world. And so you see that here too. You know, this 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 movie doesn't pass the, the Bechtel test um, because even when the witch shows up to talk to Snow White, they have to make the conversation about men somehow. And so she tries to convince her to buy the apple pie because that's what men like. She's like, men will, mm-hmm. will go crazy for this apple pie. And that is what makes Snow White want to buy it, right? Like, it can't just be like, this pie is going to be really good and you're going to like it. It has to be about a man. Um, so yeah. I think that's, you know, it, that's just how things were back then, which, like, I'm not trying to, like, say that that's fine because obviously it wasn't. And that's why we're changing it now, I guess. So, right. um, but I, I can also identify that that is, that is a product of the time as well. So seeing this movie and thinking about some of the like stereotypes that, that I know Disney is sort of guilty of putting into some of his films, um, it, it, it reminded me of something I came across in my research, and that's that uh, Hitler uh, was apparently obsessed with the original fairy tale version of this story. And um, I, I couldn't find whether because at first I thought he was a fan of this movie, but then I saw later that he wasn't because of the changes. It was like Americanized and, and modernized and he didn't like the changes that were being made. So it seems more like maybe he was obsessed with the original version of the tale. Um, but apparently it became a piece of propaganda that, that they actually used and they demanded like everybody in Germany had to, you know, read this story and be aware of it. And um, I assume it was cast in some sort of racial light. Um, I, I'm not really sure. It seems like there's a lot more there to look into, and I and I, I didn't get into it enough to to really tell. But um, I wonder. So so yeah, what specifically spoke to him about the story? I wonder. Like other than it's a German story. Yeah. Very like. Well, and um, it's about a Snow White perfect beauty, so that oh, would probably yeah. appeal to like the Aryan bullshit. Right. Racist. Yeah. And like wanting like yeah, I think maybe wanting to poison someone for being pure, that kind of thing. Like. I can see that being some sort of part of the fucked up ideology. <laughs> I'd never heard that before. That's that's wild. So so what about the Disney stuff? I I, I know you're saying that there's a little bit of uh, he's he was accused so, of racism and stuff like that, and I, I don't know a lot about it. Right. Yeah. I looked into it some, and and you know I I think that you know rightfully so there are things that that are in the films that that do not that are not okay today right yeah especially i know like dumbo has some really really bad stuff in right it. and i mean song of the south in general is yeah. is the one that like i don't even think disney as a company like has that available for purchase anymore because you know it's just very stereotypical um characters in it and right. uh i don't know it, and what i could find people were the, the evidence that they have is um 
basically what he's put in the films. So, and um, I guess the counter argument to that, not that I'm making this argument, um, but what I've seen is people say that um, animation of the time tended to have some, a lot of stereotypes in it. Um, so not saying it's right, but it seems yeah. like it was something that was done. I, I always feel like that's kind of a that's kind of a poor ref- refutation of anything. It's like, right. you know, someone's accused of doing something and then they turn around and go, well, everyone was doing it. And it's like, so I'm OK, you know, <laughs> exactly. But like, yeah. I mean, how many movies have we watched where we've been like, God, this is not OK now. And it's just like, yeah, it's just kind of how society was. And it's been yeah. said. And obviously there's there's merit to it. Yeah. Well, racism, racism wouldn't be as pernicious a problem in our society if it wasn't able to affect everyone in a way, you know what I mean? And like, if it wasn't something that is pervasive in our culture and, and, and creeps into beloved, you know, stories. And I think that's something that, uh, as I sort of got older and, and got outside of my bubble and started to learn about, and it's like, you start to realize that some of these things that you grew up loving have problematic shit in it. And it's because that, people aren't aware of it or if they are aware of it they don't see the problem or if they do see the problem they don't care and the problem is it's hard to tell or they they or they don't think it's a problem they want to actively put it out there and it's very difficult to tell those things apart like where does this come from does it come from ignorance does it come from active hate does it come from something else and so it becomes difficult to identify and and yeah and that's the that's that's like the institutional racism that we see. Yeah, it's just, it's just baked in. Absolutely. You know, there's situations where it's like, like you say, it could just be ignorance. But there, the the problem is, it's the people with the hate that are that are kind of leading that and and keeping it. Well, keeping and, it and regardless of the source, whether it comes from ignorance or it comes from hate, it still perpetuates it. It's still, it's still racism. Yeah. It's still racism. It still perpetuates it in our society, and it's and that's why it's so important to identify it when you see it. And that's why right. I think it's something that we try and do on this podcast. Same with, you know, sexism, something we try and right. identify when we when we when we can see it as two white straight dudes. Um, so, yeah, you know, which we were, I'm sure we miss stuff all the time, but we try yeah, for sure. So with all that being said, what like is it, other than suppression of women, which is evident in, in you know, many of these older stories like this, what yeah. which what stands out to you as as. Um, things that could could have been fixed or or probably have been in, in you know re retellings of the story. Well, and honestly, you know, as much as I'm giving my tongue in cheek account of what happened, um, that comes a little bit from a place of wanting to give some more power and agency to Snow White, who is otherwise just floating around in this movie, completely at the whims of everyone else, and and being led places by animals, and and completely helpless. You know what I mean? And right. um, so I think that's a way to recast this movie and, and, and give her some more power and agency. And I want to say it has been done. Honestly, like I think there was a live action. I haven't seen it, but there was a live action Snow White. And I'm, sh- I, I'm sure that, that that was she was given a lot more agency, I'm sure. Well, and we've talked about there's so many adaptations and there are going to be people listening to this who have probably seen all of them <laughs> or the majority of right. them or, or a lot of them. And I have definitely missed a lot of the newer ones. So um i'd be curious to know though yeah like write it write us in uh ink to film at gmail.com let us know if there's like a particularly powerful adaptation of this material that that you really like the way it um sort of reinterpreted it for a modern audience i'd be curious to hear that for sure but yeah when what, what about you how do you how do you feel about this movie and how it holds up for the modern day and and is it more just like a piece of history that's worth looking back at for that reason or is it something that stands up today you think yeah, it's it's tough because it's like as we've said. Uh, ultimately, I think the story has sort of a 
sort of a um, meandering pace to it. Yeah. You know, it kind of it kind of just goes along. It's taking you on a journey. I think it is very immersive um, in terms of like like we've talked about the I think the animation is absolutely beautiful. Um, it, it It is this like hugely iconic and hugely important film for animation. Um, and we've said the things that don't necessarily hold up. We would like to see Snow White with some more agency for sure. Uh, but ultimately, I think it is. I, I, I still enjoyed watching it. You know, I still yeah. after I've seen this movie, I don't even know how many times. I would say probably like five or six times over the years. And every time I watch it, I appreciate something new. And and it really I mean, there's a reason, I think, why it touched this audiences at the time that it did. And, and it it is like emotionally engaging at the end when you know snow like i i like seeing the seeing the dwarves cry specifically you talked about how like they're they're very cute and but but that cuteness and that humor also kind of switches over to like emotion at one point yeah. and um the animals outside in the rain who are maybe crying yeah. as well <laughs> yeah and like there's and like i said er, way way earlier in this episode there's a reason why a lot of this stuff has continued and like you know the the emotion has been put into a lot of these disney movies they pull in the heartstrings because like if an animated movie can make you cry, then they they kind of did their they kind of did their job. They yeah. that's kind of become the the norm. Is like it, it really sticks with you if it makes you cry. I think, and that's something that they realized. Um, you know, and it's like cry. I'm sure people cry from joy from these movies as well. Yeah, yeah, I think you're, you're definitely right. Uh, you did remind me that. So I think I watched this movie a ton growing up. I think this is one of the ones that I would like play over and over again. That and Bambi. I, I really love Bambi. Um, but watching it again this time, I realized like I didn't remember a lot of this movie. Um, I think it's just the distance, you know, the distance of time and and not having a very good memory. Apparently, I have a shitty memory. <laughs> so um, <laughs> watching this back, I was like, man, I didn't remember this part. I didn't remember this part. It's definitely interesting to revisit, and um, you know, a cool bit of history. And I think um, I, I kind of framed my question in a way that made it seem like the two answers were mutually exclusive. I don't think they are. I think you can watch this and enjoy it and still be enjoying it for the reason of like, this is an important piece of history that is worth revisiting and, and putting in context. Same with the brothers Grimm fairy tale, going back and reading that and just knowing that that's where the story came from and tracing it all the way back to potentially a real person who was murdered. Um, and then got her story told throughout time. I mean, it's wild to even think about that as being what happened, but maybe it did. I don't know. I was reading that at one point there was, uh, because they were working night and day to get this film done. Basically, they put themselves in a situation where they needed to release on a certain date, and it, it you know didn't leave them a ton of time. Uh, they had people working the cameras in order to get those shots, those those frames to put together to create this film. The camera was running night and day, so they had like day shifts and night shifts. And as you can as you see, if you look at um, like the IMDb of this film. There were like six directors with like one supervising director and then everything went went past Walt Disney. He had to see every frame before it was okayed. Uh, and just like the, just thinking about the number of people that came together for this and and it just makes me think of another thing I read was this was this film in the news and newspapers was called was being called Disney's Folly because they felt that one, the color was watching a colorful animated film. Uh, was going to leave people with bleeding eyes uh, because it's a feature <laughs> feature length film. They couldn't handle all of the colors. They would have to. They needed to leave the theater. They couldn't watch that much. Wow. Um, they wouldn't be engaged because they were supposed to be funny. Uh, so and the, the amount of money that he was putting into this animated feature, um, it was it was all over the news. It was this is this is I think loving lovingly now people in Disney called this movie Disney's folly as a joke because it was you know his folly that became his greatest success and and yeah. made the crazy empire that we see today. 
Right, which, you know, whether or not Dis- the, the existence of Disney as the Empire we know it today is a good or, or maybe a bad thing, I, I think is another podcast. <laughs> um, this was about Snow White. I had fun talking about it. Um, it's definitely cool to revisit it. A little bit unusual for us, but if there are any other Brothers Grimm fairy tales or other fairy tales of any kind that you know have an adaptation and you would like for us to to give the similar treatment, <laughs> um, let us know, because I'd, I'd love to hear that. That's something we're open to doing more of if, if you guys enjoyed this this version of, of, of Ink to Film. Um, and yeah, otherwise, we are going to be back next week uh, with a with with Stephen King, and we're going to be covering the miniseries, the original miniseries for It, um, and that's in preparation for It Chapter Two, which will come out with an episode on uh, the following week. So if you if you're a Stephen King fan, uh, your your moment is coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh this is the full circle moment for the podcast. We're we're back to It. Yeah, so excited to get to that. But uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with this, and hopefully you did too. All right, we wanted to thank one of our newer patrons, Simone C. Uh, thank you for becoming a patron and supporting this podcast. Uh, if you would like to become a patron yourself, go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film and you get access to our monthly bonus episodes, which we're going to be recording another bonus episode here soon. Uh, actually, not sure what we're doing yet, but we're going to decide in the next day or two and, and we'll be having that out soon. Um, but I think we got like 16 of them out now. If that interests you, check it out. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at Ink to Film. And join the Council of Inklings. It's a great way to, to stay in touch and see what projects are coming up, be involved in polls that could potentially decide future projects. Um, and we post all kinds of news that comes out in that. So, so definitely join the Council of Inklings. Absolutely. And a way to help this podcast for free is to leave us a rating and review. We actually haven't gotten any new ratings or reviews on iTunes in a long time. I would love to see some new ones on there. They always make me smile. I like to repost them on on our social media. So um, leave us one on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I guess it's called now. Would love to see it. Otherwise, we'll take them on Facebook or wherever else you can post about us online. Always happy to see that. Yeah, definitely. And and tell a friend. If you're not going to leave a review... We we totally appreciate uh, yeah. just just spreading the word. Just it's in as the meat. Much. It's it's like in the meat space, giving the old verbal uh, verbal review. <laughs> right, word of mouth. Word of mouth yeah. is the best the best uh, marketing. Oh, we also wanted to thank uh, Jennifer Delazana for providing our transcripts, and thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, sleepy. That was fun. Um, <laughs> we're gonna. All right, sneezy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be we'll be back next week with it. Uh, we're gonna do the miniseries and then and then yeah. chapter two after that. Tim I'm Curry, really I mean, everybody raves about his performance. I've ever, I've only ever seen clips. I've never seen the whole thing. So we're definitely gonna weigh in on what we think of Tim Curry's Pennywise, um, and I'm excited for that. But until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>